good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world. And welcome to the bloody awesome movie podcast. My name is Matt Hudson from whatiwatchtonight.co.uk. And joining me from across the pond, he's the only guy I'd call if I was trapped in someone's basement and only had one phone call. It's John Burke from BurkeReviews.com. How are you, sir? I am doing pretty well, sir. How about yourself? Um, not too bad. It's uh, it's a, again, it's early recording for us today. The sun is still out over here. It's a balmy summer's evening, so uh, can't complain too much. Talking to my main man about films, it's almost like uh, it's a perfect day. But I must ask, how are you? Are you keeping Florida safe and well? Yes, you know it's it's um it's hot here, but uh, you know it's supposed to rain in this afternoon, which. I welcome. Um, now it looks like it's not going to rain. Earlier it said it was going to rain today, but now it says no. And it, we really could use another rainy day because it is hot out there. But, um, you know, uh, just always exciting to see uh, wild things happening in the world. So hmm. uh, I have not been watching a lot this week, but I've been uh, you know diving into some video games. Uh, one in particular that I keep playing because I just enjoy it and it helps me to kind of zone out. But um, I was super responsible this past saturday bought a new lawnmower and mowed the grass and then cleaned out the shed which was long overdue because i needed to put the lawnmower in the shed um but threw out a bunch of stuff that's been like cluttering the shed and uh you know got a lot of stuff done on saturday until the downside uh my my truck is in the shop for the moment um, hoping it is something small, uh, but I will find out hopefully here soon, not during the recording, but it might happen. Um, if I find out, we'll update you at listener. How's the truck? How was the truck? If you hear me rattling on for an extra two or three minutes, you know, John's gone to answer his phone basically. But, um, if there's anybody listening up there, please let John's truck be okay, please. Uh, cause mm-hmm. I need him. I need my main man for the bloody awesome movie podcast. For those who are new to the show, we take the biggest film or most interesting release of the week and we give a non-spoiler review on this, our main episode. So, John, tonight we are going to be reviewing The Black Phone, the new film directed by Scott Derrickson, who also wrote it alongside C. Robert Cargill, who's a long-time collaborator. Who does it star? Well, Mason Thames, Madeline McGraw, Ethan Hawke, Jeremy Davis, E. Roger Mitchell and Troy Rudisil, 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 we'll go Rudisil. Um, yeah. Spoilers, but the synopsis reads: After being abducted by a child killer and locked in a soundproof basement, a 13-year-old boy starts receiving calls on a disconnected phone from the killer's previous victims. How is it doing then with the critics and the fans worldwide? 82% on Rotten Tomatoes, 65 Metascore, 7.3 uh, out of 10 on IMDb.com. And three and a half out of five on Letterbox. And if you want to watch the Black Phone, and you'll hear what we've got to say about it, which may, help. no, if you're kind of dilly dallying, our thoughts may help you decide. It's only available in theatres around the world, so it's not on streaming just yet. So you have to go out and watch this film. So the Black Phone again, no spoilers here. I am a big horror fan. I love most first, most genres, sorry, subgenres of horror. And there's nothing I like more, John, than going to the cinema fairly late at night to watch a horror film and coming out with the heebie-jeebies. And I was hoping the Black Phone would give that to me. And to be honest, the trailers didn't really sell me that much. I wasn't too keen on, you know, the the, the idea that this kid was, you know, in this basement, this, this walled-off basement with um, apparitions or, pot- or potentially like, like dead bodies in there with him and ghosts and all that. I thought, oh, I don't really like the sound of that. And then I heard that this film was getting quite good praise and people were really enjoying it. And it was a, a nice return to the genre from Scott Derrickson. So I went to see it with pretty decent expectations. Plus I like Ethan Hawking, most things that he's in. And I thought the black phone was pretty decent. I don't think it was, I don't think it was excellent, but I think it was very decent. I think it's more atmospheric than violent. Or graphic. This is more than a horror. I found for me. Um, obviously, the premise is horrifying, and the illusions that the film makes are horrifying. When you kind of strip between some of the layers in this film, um, I thought that the performances were very good. I thought that uh, Madeline McGraw as young Gwen was very good in this, and Mason Thames, 
as well, the young lad leading the film. I thought he did well leading the film as well. We've said on this show many times, for better or worse, fairly or unfairly, that sometimes when your film rests on the small shoulders of a child actor, then you know, you're almost dancing with the devil somewhat. Here, though, I think they do a really good job. I think Ethan mm-hmm. Hawke, for what he is afforded, does very well. I think, actually, Ethan Hawke's having a good time. I think he's quite joy relishing this villainous role he's given underneath that mask you see in the trailers. I found he was quite restrained. If you're worried that he's going to be over the top or kind of hammy or campy, you won't find that here. I think, they, I think he restrained himself enough. However, uh, I kind of got stuck on what the the, um, the killer, you know, the, the child killer in the synopsis. I was kind of stuck on what his MO was. You know, what was his plan here? Was it just, you know, pick up kids and kill them? Or was there more? Was there more kind of grisly sexual undertones to this, which the film kind of alludes to, I think, but it doesn't really ever jump straight into. Uh, so it doesn't really dive into. And that's what really held me back from loving this film is, Obviously, I don't want the film to get overly deep into a, you know, a child predator necessarily. But I find that if you can add some humanity to your villain, I think he's scarier. And the only thing that this film was lacking for me was any kind of thread or strand as to who the villain, you know, who he was. Who, you know, what what's going on? What's his game? What's he mm-hmm. playing? Where's any kind of humanity? And and by saying that, he's not just a cold, merciless killer reefer it's kind of a bit hodgepodge for me as to what really they were trying to do with the villain however that's not ethan hawke's fault i think he does well with what he has to do in this film um yeah there's not many moments for me that were frightening like terrifying where i was you know heart was pounding but there's some really good moments of suspense really good moments of built up tension uh, and some good imagery surrounding again ethan hawke's character um when he's just idly sitting still We're sitting there and that's kind of like oh man that's that's a grim image and that's not one i'd want to have to see if i was trying to uh, plot an escape from this underground like, terror terrorville um i had a few issues with uh logic as well in this film which i'll get into more in the spoiler um episode and i don't mean logic in the terms of the supernatural i just meant actual you know character decisions they make in this which is usually a flaw that we throw at horror films, but I think this one has a few issues that it actually kind of writes itself into a corner with. But I, I enjoyed this film. There's nothing wrong with this film. I, I would give it a very decent, probably seven and a half out of ten. Um, there are trigger moments in it, though, in terms of abuse and domestic abuse. So that is something oh, which for sure triggers yourself, or you know, unless you've got a heart of absolute stone and cold hearted. You know, this there's a, at least one scene which is very distressing. I sat there in a cinema, kind of my toes were curling watching it mm-hmm. testament to the actors who are in this scene but i re- i did enjoy this film i, I may sound um, more negative than not i'm um, not at all it's more of a response to the idea that i thought this was going to be something revelation and in fact actually it's just a solid return to the genre scott derrickson ethan hawk's very decent the story is interesting if maybe not executed perfect to perfection and there's a few moments here and there which will, like I say, get your toes curling. And overall, JB, I thought it was a solid horror slash thriller, if nothing else. But what did you think as the up-and-coming horror guru? <laughs> so I um, I have a lot of thoughts. Uh, I, I think the movie does a really great job of pulling you in and keeping you engaged with the story um, while you're watching it. It's one of those, it, it's very much, it's not a thrill ride in the sense that I wasn't scared like you said i did have the suspense at times um but i was really into the movie i was into the characters i was i was asking tons of questions internally while watching it like what is this what is this referencing how does this work what is that um a lot of those questions don't get answered and i think that's where the movie loses a few points for me is at the end when you look back at it and this is true of a lot of horror when you when you overanalyze horror a lot of times it doesn't make sense especially because most horror isn't going for literal in its own world. So the stuff that happens, it's often more allegorical for the, our world. And we're supposed to take that and interpret it. And I think that's definitely something here from what I've heard. Scott Derrickson made this movie because it was very personal. This is like therapy for him. And this is like 
a lot of this is based on things he experienced. I don't know exactly what or how or, you know, what that means exactly. Um, I would have to say it's probably something to do with abuse. Uh, to what degree, I'm not sure. Maybe with alcoholism um, or an alcoholic parent, which is, a, a, I can't call it a theme. It's a, it's part of the text of this film. Mm. But um, when you when you look at this one, there's a lot of writing issues. I think that things like there are threads that start and then never go anywhere. Um, there's I, I honestly question the need for most of the parent stuff with Jeremy Davies as, as Gwen and Finney's dad. Uh, there is an interpretation that we'll talk about in spoilers where I think it makes more sense, but it also felt a bit much. And uh, it's there's a lot there. Um, I love the performances, though. I thought Madeline uh, McGraw was incredible. She starts a little rocky. Like, you can feel her kind of, like, uncertain at the very beginning. And then halfway through the movie, she owns this character. And she is giving a tremendous performance. I think delivers the best use of the word fart knocker in any movie ever. <laughs> Agree with that. I loved when she dropped the line. I won't give context so that it, if when you see this listener, if you haven't already, you will not, not be uh, ruined. Um, I definitely thought she was the superstar. However, that's not to take away from Finney. I think Finney's character is a little less interesting, um, mm-hmm. but not the performance. I think his performance, Mason Thames does a terrific job and the character is compelling. I just think by comparison to Gwen, I think there's a lot more going on with Gwen um, to connect with. Uh, Ethan Hawke is tremendous. And I, I really want to give the costume design a shout out because the mask that he has uh, is so cool. It is creepy. It it's There's so many variations of it, which is one of the things that I think is so awesome. And it looks like it's two different pieces that kind of interlock together. Mm. It's really cool design. Like, I love that. Um, we didn't mention, though, this uh, the movie's based on a short story by Joe Hill, which is Stephen King's son. And there is oh. Stephen King fingerprints all over this movie um there's a lot of it references she's wearing a yellow uh raincoat yes um and uh you know there's a lot of like even like the 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 ghost the phone calls feel very stephen king it inspired type stuff um and obviously the the child protagonist uh is gonna make you think of it yeah when whenever i think horror and kids that's the movie that my brain jumps to so it could be unfair i guess to to associate those things but there's a lot of parallels to to throw that out there um i you know there's some scenes early before the uh the grabber shows up that um were really rough uh but there's there's some Man, uh, there's some like cool 70s vibe in this. And like, you know, uh, it, this movie could not have been set. It isn't set in 1978, which is mm-hmm. important because if you set this movie today, none of it works because cell no. phones destroy the premise completely um, or would make the, the writers fabricate why the phone's broken or some nonsense. Uh, definitely works better in 78. Also, just the like, I know where my daughter is at any time as long as she has her phone on her. Like, I have a uh, an app that basically tracks her phone and vice versa. She also knows where I am and my wife and so on, um, which, again, would change this whole kids getting snatched kind of thing uh, significantly. Um, so not that they don't still get snatched, mind you. Obviously, I am aware that uh, that is a major problem in our, in our world right now. But um, – it's still the way this movie plays out would be severely altered by a cell phone kind of thing. So, um, but I, I really, uh, thought that this movie does a good job of connecting us to the characters, which gives us some emotional payoffs. And I think adds to the suspense, um, at some major key points in the film. So I, I really enjoyed watching it in hindsight. I, I have analyzed it a lot and I've like kind of, there's a lot of little things that I can't get past, which upset me because I really like this movie a lot. And I was like, man, I really wish these things were answered or addressed in the movie so that I'd have a little more of a connection to it overall. But I do, I do think the performances are worth it. And I think it's a fun watch. And I think that's crucial because mm-hmm. this is a Blumhouse movie. Yeah. And there have been plenty of Blumhouse movies that look like they could be fun and then are slogs or so ridiculously bad that you are angry for having watched it. This is not one of those Blumhouse movies. This is one of those top echelon. Um, I, you know, I, I like the Purge movies. I don't think they're all great. I've enjoyed watching several of them. Um, I, I 
was it Sinister or Blumhouse also or no? Sinister um, Derrickson. Sinister but... was uh, no, I don't think it was. Yeah, I, well, there's one I like. I like Derrickson's. Uh, yeah, no, it was. Sinister. It's produced by them. Yeah, yeah. Lionsgate okay. Blumhouse. Um, so I, you know, they've, they've had some wins, uh, despite many losses for me. Um, so I like seeing them have a movie that I actually enjoyed watching. And, uh, if I had my truck, I actually was going to try to go today before recording, um, to see it a second time. Cause I saw this almost two weeks ago now. So it's, it's a little, it's not as fresh as I would have preferred it being. Um, but I, I definitely am willing to watch this again. And I, I think this is one it's, it's not one that would be easy to teach because the subject matter is so dark, but it does. Um, it's not gory and it's, uh, it's, it, it is rated R, right? But it's gotta be because of language. Yes. Um, cause there's, they, they curse a lot. Even the kids get some, some good, uh, curse words in there. <laughs> um, but yeah, and there's, there's some violence and obviously, but it's, it's going to be more of the, the dark themes, but this is one of those horror movies where it's so atmospheric and like the production design is cool. There's some things again that I think mess up the production design and the story itself kind of conflict, like are in conflict with each other, but the actual, like, like the way things are set up, the kind of one room scenario situation, because the kids locked in the room, I think works really well. And I think it's a good kind of like, this is how to make a very simple personal horror film. And I like that as an example. Um, so this is one I, I plan to uh, probably purchase at some point, maybe not when it comes out immediately, but like when it's on a good sale, you know, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd have no, no hesitation in adding this to my collection. Yep. Sounds, sounds good to me, JB. It was, a, it's a Blumhouse film. So it's another low budget affair. I think this one's about $18 million budget. It's already racked up close to 18 million. So yeah, you know, Jason Blum knows what he's doing. It's another box office hit and it's doing well critically and with the fans for the most part. And John, John seems very up on it. I did yeah. like the film as well. I think I just went in with the heightened expectations, but that's more of a me thing more than anybody else's problem. But I did, I did enjoy this film and like you, I'd probably wait till this was on a decent sale before picking it up, but I'd absolutely watch it again. It's, it's, it's a cool atmospheric horror film. Perfect for yeah. when the, when, when the clouds roll in and it gets a little bit colder at night, this is the kind of film that, that works. Again, disturb, yeah. certain disturbing um, themes and sequences for those who want to go and see this film, but maybe have an aversion to things like abuse, like most of us do. Um, but just be aware that those scenes are in this film. However, they are, they, they, they serve a purpose within the film. I think, you know, they, in terms of the narrative, at least there's a reason why they happen, but it doesn't make them any less shocking or, you know, awful to have to watch. So, uh, John, yeah. do you have anything else on the black phone before we move along? Not until spoilers, because there's a lot I want to talk about in spoilers. Yeah, I think I've got a few things to throw into that spoiler chat too. So, well, let's move on then to our next uh, segment, which we simply call Chuffed Headlines. And in this segment, John and myself, we both take a headline from the pop culture world and we share it with each other and you guys. So, John, what have you picked this week? So I uh, kind of surprisingly, I would imagine, um, picked an Avatar 2 headline uh, because I both agree with James Cameron. But I also think this is, again, kind of showcasing um, Cameron's attitude which I don't know that I love one the, the, this is a TMZ article, which I don't know that we've ever used a TMZ article for this, but I think we have, um, he may not direct avatar four and five. Uh, he may let wow. someone else take the reins, which is huge that he said he that, was very uh, adamant about, he was doing all five of them and it's going to be a big cinematic achievement. I think it, I mean, he's probably, he knows he's at the twilight of his life. Even, you know, he's getting up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he basically says there's other stuff he wants to do. These are obviously very I- intense like productions. And so I wouldn't blame him if he wanted to step away and make something. Maybe, maybe he wants to make a smaller movie. It's not really been his MO. Uh, he's mostly made big movies, but um, maybe it's just too much for him at this point. But so he's, he's obviously doing two and three, uh, two's, I guess, quote unquote done. It, it's, I still, I think it's still going into VFX, but how hands-on he is with that um i'm sure he's got his hand on it but you know i I know he's probably sitting back and working on three um but the big thing is uh he's saying avatar 2 the way of water will be over three hours 
Um, and he's telling everyone right away. He knows that people are going to complain and that even I like this. Uh, he's like, I can see the review, the agonizingly long three hour movie. <laughs> And his counterpoint, which we have made now, it, it's essential to not be hypocritical here. Matt and I frequently complain about runtime of the movies that we watch. However, I also know that I, uh, for example, I binged all seven hour long episodes of Midnight Mass in two days. Mm, yep. Um. So, and there are many movies that are long that I absolutely love. Our criticism about time is partly that it is a commitment and. Uh, when you're trying to cram a lot of stuff into your day, three hours feels like a lot more than two. Most of the time when I binge a TV series, I'm doing other stuff while doing it. Um, Also, and this is his point, uh, he says we need to change the social paradigm in this article and we need to uh, anticipate bathroom like breaks in the movie, meaning you're going to need to get up and pee at some point in the film, figure out a time when it feels like it's a good moment. And that's where his argument falls short oh. is a TV series has built in breaks, right? Every hour. Button. Yeah. And the pause button, if you're at home, uh, which obviously avatar, the way of water is not designed to be seen on a TV. It is designed mm-hmm. to see- be seen on the biggest screen imaginable, preferably probably in 3d, given that they made the trailer for all the critics in 3d. Um, and avatar kind of revolutionized the 3d medium again, after many years of it, not you know feeling that way. So I I don't disagree with him. Um, I, I think we need to be accepting of a film. And really, I can go, uh, as a teacher, I've gone many hours without a bathroom break. Because um, sometimes it just doesn't work out. You just can't go to the bathroom. Uh, so, and I've sat through many movies with no bathroom break. Now, the counterpoint in the article is that uh, if, if you know your movie's going to be long and you know people are going to complain go old school and put an intermission in the movie. Like I just watched sweet uh, Charlotte, which uh, nope, sweet charity. I will get there eventually. Um, <laughs> and it, it's a three hour musical and there's an intermission and they even have the, uh, the old school um, opening thing where they have the music playing the yeah. can't think of what it's called, but they have that built into the DVD of it, you know, um, which I could just pause that, but they still threw the intermission on there. Uh, so maybe avatar needs the intermission. Uh, you know, James Cameron, you pick when's a good pause for us to hit the bathroom. Is there a, is there a natural break in your story that would make sense? Because it is, it's stressful um, that you're like, okay, this seems like a scene where that won't have any significance, and you leave and you come back and like you're the main character is dead. And you're like, what happened? You know, like <laughs> that's a fear everyone has when they walk out of a film is that they're going to miss a crucial moment, and it's rude to, to come back and look at the person you're with and go, Hey, what happened? Because mm-hmm. now you're going to miss something else. You might disrupt something for somebody behind you or in front of you. So it, it is a, uh, not an ideal scenario to go to the bathroom during a movie, but I don't disagree with him. I think the movie, if the movie is justified to be the over three hours, meaning there's nothing that feels like filler. It doesn't seem like you could cut 20 or 30 minutes, which usually when you and I have complained about time, we say this scene wasn't necessary or you could trim out this whole thing. And we're at least justifying our criticism with something that felt unnecessary or superfluous. I, man, I would be willing to bet Avatar 2 is probably going to have some fluff that we don't need. But, you know, uh, maybe not. Maybe it'll be a really tight story because that's definitely Cameron's MO. So (laughs) um, to be fair, though, Titanic was like three hours, right? Like, so, or at least it was two VHS tapes. So what do you think, Matt? Uh, is Cameron out of line? Well, the rem- remembering that it was two VHS tapes is taking me back a little bit, but, um, <laughs> I've got, I've got, I'm with you. I think on this, that yes, if a film, you know, we, you know, we, we have been guilty of this before, but if a film is re- required to be an ample length, whether it's three hours, three and a half hours, whatever, then fine. If it requires that we watch the Batman this year, nine oh, yeah. or three hours long, you know, and, and for the most part, I thought it, the majority of it was required. Yep. Again, maybe a, a few minutes here and there. And I think you'll ever find any film really, which is perfectly crafty. You know, there's nothing where you kind of think, mm-hmm. but Mad Max Fury Road. Okay. You win that one. The Exorcist. <laughs> sorry. Okay. Um, yeah. So, I, I'm with I'm with him on that. Yes, we complain about the length of films, but only because sometimes you can go into a film and you can just know, 
Jurassic World Dominion, it doesn't need to be that long. Nope. Yeah, no for sure. Way. Does it need to be that long? That's even before going in to watch the damn film. But as for the other point, now that's where I take umbrage, and I've, I I don't subscribe anymore to this th- argument that people have where, oh, uh, you know, James Cameron, he's been there, done it, some of the biggest and best films of all time. You know, he's allowed to say what he wants or think what he wants without, uh, you know, any kind of pushback. I think it's rubbish. I mean, that this statement, I want you to come and watch my film, but it's up to you to pick when you go to the toilet. Because uh, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to suss out the narrative here. You've got to kind of work out the road ahead and think. Right, have I got two minutes or five minutes to to leave, so I don't miss anything. But at the same time, for somebody like me, I don't want to miss anything. Yeah, I don't go into a film and think, well, well I'm going to miss five or ten minutes because I'm going to have to run to the bathroom here. I don't want to miss anything. Everything to me is vital to the film. It might there might be a, a, a nod or a, a musical cue or like a something in that two or three minutes that you miss, which is vital going forward, a, a reveal or a MacGuffin or something, which you need. Um, so telling the audience that it's up to them to pick and choose when they go, I don't, no, I don't like that. But at the same time, what else is he meant to say? You know, hold it in for three hours. So there's there's that side of it as well. Is that maybe he's maybe it's just his way of saying. Look, if you've got to go, you've got to go. But, you know, be smart about when you go. Don't go in the third act, maybe. Um, but, you know, it's a new film. Nobody knows when to go. You know, I love being surprised by a, you know, uh, a first act twist or a, a middle act swing, which I may miss if I run to the bathroom because James Cameron told me I need to pick and choose my battles here. But, um, yeah, br- bring back the intermission and the old overtures and things like that. If it's going to be that long, if he's telling you, look, you're going to need to go to the bathroom, stick a, stick a break in the middle or five minutes, 10 minutes. And then, you know, let James Cameron tell us, let him di- dictate to us. You know, I've made this film. It's cost untold amounts of money. It's taken this amount of time of my life. I'm going to put a block in the middle so you don't miss any of, you know, this brilliant film, which this achievement that I've done. You know, you tell us when to do it. That would work for me. I wouldn't think it's pretentious or anything. I'd think it was smart, if anything. But um, So, yeah, Cameron, I, I agree with the runtime. Maybe not so much on him telling us to kind of predict what's going to happen in his film, of which I'm not entirely excited for in the first place. I don't care That's how good the water looks in this film. I'm not going to, to marvel over the visuals. I want a good story, same as any film in any franchise. Um, and I imagine JB is probably the same. You do your story first. Yeah, I'm the same. Have a quick swig of my. Uh, I've got a blueberry smoothie, and it's incredible, and it's keeping mm. me sustained via this recording, my friend. Uh, which is something I'd need for what I'm about to talk about, which I haven't had to witness or absorb yet in my cinematic viewing of said film, which I haven't been to see yet. But my headline, John. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you've seen this, and I'm sure all of our listeners have heard about this in some way, shape, or form. But the headline, this one's from The Independent. Cinemas ban teenagers in suits following the Gentle Minions TikTok trend. Uh, The trend has led to many cinemas being forced to offer refunds to those who aren't in on the joke. And what is the joke? Well, on on TikTok, there was this kind of these viral videos about people going to watch the new uh, Minions, the Rise of Gru film. It was part in, in suits and recording themselves. And and going to the cinema, you know, like cheering, clapping, shouting, be, pretending to be a minion. Maybe <laughs> I'm getting a bit old, but I haven't got time for any of that crap if I saw that in my screening. But, of course, this is a kid's film as well. So kids are going to see this and try and enjoy the film. And it's getting spoiled by, you know, 13 to however old they are, who's getting involved. And, you know, Universal have said, you know, Universal are joining in and they're enjoying it because it's led to a very, very high opening weekend for this film. And look, I'm not averse to having fun and having a laugh and, you know, dressing up in suits to the minions and paying reverence to this odd franchise just for fun. But the problem is, JB, it is causing a lot of dissatisfaction for the other people who are going to watch the film. The cinema managers are having to shell out uh, a lot of money in refunds. One of the managers of a view cinema in the UK had to issue £1,300 worth of refunds in one day simply because, because of complaints from other customers. They they couldn't hear it. They couldn't so see they, the film. It's distracting their kids. Their kids are joining in as well. Um, 
So again, maybe I'm getting old, but I oh, I could not handle this if I went to see the film. But um, I, I love the idea of them going in suits. Like I think that's fun. It, yes, in I mean, and of itself, fun. right? In and of itself, it's not a problem. It's the disrupting of the film that is un, unacceptable. Um, that part bugs me, and I it's it's it should be noted. Uh, they're in like three piece suits, or at least like a button up shirt and tie, and like dress pants uh there have been some i've seen uh with minions costumes on again cool but this is they're they're trying to make this into like uh rocky horror picture show or the room but those events are scheduled to be interactive at this point like these are not the film's debuts like where you're going and people are just genuinely there to see the movie well even uh, then you go to the latest marvel or star wars film and people dress up in cosplay because that's the occasion the occasion yeah. calls for it. Well, I mean, like Rocky Horror Picture Show and The Room, they are interactive film watches. Oh, yeah. like, the audience is throwing spoons at the room, it, yeah. and and they have yeah they they sell kits to do that. But that's because those movies have been seen and screened, and th- you're going there for the interactivity. Now, Minions. Now, while yes, you could make an argument that Minions have an established franchise; they have a quote unquote fan base. A lot of the people wearing suits probably saw the first Minions as like, you know, eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, and maybe have mm-hmm. some love for them, or at least some comedic love for them, ironic love. Yeah. Um, but there are a new generation of kids who just want to see the movie. Parents want to take their kids, especially this summer is very lax on kids' films. Um, there has not been a lot, and so, you know, they're probably excited to be able to take them to something, and to have it disrupted by people who are probably ironically enjoying the film versus genuinely having a good experience. Um, wrong time, wrong place, fellas is what I'm saying. Now, if universal is smart, they will market on this and do a interactive like screening. Yes. Like they do the sing-alongs of like frozen where it's a disclaimer that the theater knows that these are going to be ruckus, rowdy crowds. Um, you know, please don't, if you're looking to see the film, go to one of these other screenings. But yeah, um, wild that this happened, especially with Minions. Uh, but at the yeah, same time, work for Morbius I, I love the sentiment, minions. but I hate that it's ruining other people's time. Uh, that's that's unacceptable to me. Uh, movie etiquette, folks. We got to behave ourselves in theaters. Yeah. If I took my kid to this and there was people screaming and shouting through it and ruining it for her, I'd be furious because... I mean, like I say, this is, you know, for kids going to the cinema could be quite a fun, um, exciting experience because it's the genuine magic of the theatres and the magic of the cinema. And, you know, it, it, I agree with your sentiment 100% that it's nice. To, and, I, and I even echoed it up top. That it's, you know, it's cool that people want to make something out of this, you know, getting dressed up and having a bit of fun. But when it comes at the dissatisfaction of the other punters there, then it's, you know, yeah, every, oh, I mean, but who am I to start preaching? Everyone's grown up enough yeah. to know. Like, actually, this might I mean, be annoying people, but then you know, these kind of videos get a lot of clout. They get a few likes online, and then suddenly, you know that that means something to a lot of people. Yeah, but I, you know, I am. It's, it's a bad. It's a. It's bad form. I'm an overly considerate person, where I sometimes will put my own discomfort ahead of someone else's. Like, I don't want to infringe. So, I it's, with that in mind. I still think uh, one of the biggest weaknesses of at least American society, although a lot of what I saw, it's not just an American problem. Thank goodness. Um, Other countries are also doing this, but it's a lack of consideration. I think that is um, a plague amongst humans is we often don't take the time to consider how our actions could affect the people around us. And we should, because we are a society and, and such you're going to have that interaction and you have to think like, Yes, you and your friends are there to do this, but what about all of the other people? Now, if you bought out the theater, have a blast. You know, it's your theater. But when when you're sharing that space, you have to be considerate of others. And it, it's unacceptable to ever not be considerate of the other people that you are sharing a space with. Because, again, you have other options. You cannot go to that theater. You can wait till it comes out on video. Like, uh, I, I have a friend group that has now been disjointed because one of us moved away but um for my birthday last year we watched troll 2 and we had a blast they brought uh, green food and you know the whole experience was very mystery science theater 3000-esque you know where we were just riffing on the movie there was no expectation that we cared about the story i remember there to watch it 
and it, it was so much fun. We didn't disrupt anybody else's experience. We didn't wreck anybody's time. And I think that's the, the lesson that should be taken from this is like, it's okay to have fun as long as you are not ruining other people's experience simultaneously. And this is so stop it. People stop it. Yeah. What John said, 110% have fun, but come on, let's look around you at the same time. Check out for the kids trying to have a good time with this film. Yeah. Um, Moving on then, JB, from Chuffed Headline, let's move on to media consumption. This is a segment where we discuss the movies, streaming series, video games, music, podcasts, which aren't ours, comic books, whatever it might be that we've used to pass the time since the last episode. Well, we have a chat about it. JB, what you been checking out this week? Well, as per usual, I am always listening to the Blank Jack podcast, and uh, they just started a new series. They just finished Sam Raimi. Usually, they take a week off in between directors. Uh, this time, they jumped right into another series, and they're doing the films of Bob Fosse, which is a very short series. I think that's why they didn't take a break. Um, I have not seen any of Bob Fosse's films except for Cabaret. Yeah. All that jazz has been on my radar for a long time, and I've been meaning to get to it, meaning to get to it. So I'm excited to finally like force myself into it. I had to buy basically all the other films uh, in his filmography, um, except for I already own Cabaret, because that was one my grandma loved when I was a kid. So like I watched it as a kid. I haven't actually seen it as an adult, so I'm looking forward to rewatching that. Um, but I just watched his first film, Sweet Charity, which is in my watch list here uh, for the episode. Man, um that movie, I would never have heard of it. Shirley MacLaine is already an actress that I respect and love in so many movies, and she is phenomenal in this movie. Uh, it's it's a sad movie for sure. Like the movie opens with her uh, being basically robbed by her boyfriend and thrown off a bridge. Like that's how the music nice. musical opens. It is a musical, <laughs> folks. It's it's mid song when she's pushed off the bridge, and it's. Um, it was a very quick turnaround from Broadway to film too. I think 66 is when the, uh, the musical hit Broadway and then 69 is the movie. So it was like very, very quick. Um, underseen really great film. Good episode of blank check. Uh, just the host this week to no guest, uh, which is unusual. They also dropped, uh, for the Patreon, the Batman versus Superman, Dawn of justice, Ugh. the Snyder cut version, whatever. I don't know what that version was called, but there's two versions of that movie too. Uh, the the quote unquote I'm calling it the Snyder cut because I don't know what else to call it, but they did that version. So it was like a three hour episode because this is their commentary on Patreon. Um, so it's the same length as the movie. Basically, um, it was good listening to it. They, they're covering all the Batman films that they have not done on the main feed on the Patreon right now. So they they got Lego Batman, and I think that's it. I think that ends the uh, the Batman series. But mm-hmm. um. I, I haven't watched a lot of movies. Uh, I watched Sweet Charity, as I mentioned, which was three hours. And then uh, Movie Club, we, we had to take a week off a couple weeks ago. So we're actually doing a double episode, uh, two Francis Ford Coppola films in a row. Uh, but we're doing them together. Uh, Rumblefish, which I think I talked about a couple weeks ago. And then um, I watched The Conversation for the first yep. time, which has been on my radar. And it's, it's been a movie I knew I needed to watch. I wasn't fully in the mood to watch it when I watched it. It was my 4th of July movie. Um, but by the end of the film, I was like completely captivated and hooked into it. And it's one of those films too, where uh, this is the second movie this year I've watched where um, me and Earl and the dying girl pulled the score from, uh, because that's a big part of me and Earl and the dying girl is they're, they're uh, aspiring filmmakers. They recreate other people's films. So there's a lot of pastiche stuff in that film. And the score for this is uh, one of my favorite sequences when they're looking for new inspiration at the DVD, like thrift store and Nick Offerman's monologuing about smoking a Hornet. Um, <laughs> and uh, the music, I was like, I was like, well, I now know where that music came from. Um, and I forget what the other movie was, but there was another movie earlier this year. I'm like, that's the score from me and Earl and the dying girl. And it was from another movie, but like, uh, it was wild to hear two different films uh, scores that I'm like, wow, these are iconic scores that I didn't know were iconic scores when I heard them in this other movie. But um, so why I encourage people to watch old stuff guys, because yes. a lot of new stuff is referencing it and you don't get those references. If you've never seen the original uh, conversation though, really great film, Gene Hackman, phenomenal. Um, very young Harrison stressful. Ford too, I believe he was super young second, yeah. uh, second big movie, but he'd been in a couple other things, but like right, it's right after American graffiti. Yes. Um, so I've seen most of his early films at this point. Uh, and obviously he'll work with Ford Coppola again on Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I ha- I'm, I've watched a lot of TV stuff. Uh, I've, I'm up to date with The Boys. Um, Matt, I forget. Have you watched any of The Boys? 
I have watched seasons one and two. I'm yet to start season three, but I really, really, really enjoyed the first two seasons. Three is wild, dude. Three is <laughs> freaking wild. Like they have really upped the gore and nudity uh, ratios quite. Or I don't wow. even know if nudity is. It, there is more nudity, I think for sure, but there's also just more sexuality. Even if there is no nudity, like just the idea of sex is like. Mm. Ve- um, I would say functional. It's not just there. But it does seem uh, a bit gratuitous at times, but the, the whole show has kind of been commentary on gratuity. So, you know, everything's excess um, in that show. And it's it's criticism of our culture. Um, Stranger Things uh, season four, part two came out on Friday. And while it was only two extra episodes, those episodes total almost six hours. So uh, <laughs> it, it's a lot of content. Um, so it's essentially like another season, but uh, without the built-in breaks as james i did have to pause the final like three times to go to the bathroom so there you go james cameron you are correct um with a pause button i i like season four i have a lot of issues with season four like far more issues oh. than i had with the first three seasons um okay and a part of it uh is is i won't get into any spoilers or anything folks so if you haven't watched any things no worries but um i i have i get ads for master class uh which is this really cool it seems really cool. I haven't paid for it, but like they, like Martin Scorsese has one on directing. And yeah, like, I've seen that one. And Ron Howard seems one, I think, as well. Yeah, he's got one for. I mean, like I guess being a journeyman director, but nevertheless, um, <laughs> the Duffer Brothers have one for creating an original series, and the word original bugs me because I don't think there's anything original in Stranger Things at all, outside of the character names and maybe the specifics but barely almost everything about the series has been nostalgia grabs and referencing other content. Um, and I would say more so with season four, I think season four, there's a lot of Freddy Krueger built into like the first five or six episodes. Um, there's always been a lot of Stephen King in the franchise, no doubt. Uh, it was never, I was never aware how much star Wars was in it until recently. And now I can't like, I can't unsee how much star Wars is embedded in the series. And there's a lot of Spielberg in, in the Stranger Things verse. Like it, it, Spielberg is all over this for sure, even though he's not. But so I feel like original series should be in quotation marks. Like original, it's pastiche, and that's not a criticism. Edgar Wright, often quoted as my favorite director, everything he's made is pastiche. Like everything he is doing is referencing other movies because the dude has seen every movie. And Tarantino, the same thing, right? Like you can literally pull shots that he ripped off from someone else's movie that we have never seen because no one else has seen 90% of the movies that Quentin Tarantino has seen. Like, so it's, it's obviously a style of filmmaking and storytelling, but um, season four (laughs) felt particularly a little more like that. And there's some stuff that doesn't, doesn't pay off the way you expect it to. And um, for it to be so long. And again, I honestly thought season three ended it like season three felt like a natural stopping point. Well, I've heard they, that. they, they make you think it could continue for sure. I'm not saying they didn't allude to it more, but maybe they shouldn't have. Um, and this is a problem that a lot of series do. They, they overstay their welcome. It's one of the reasons why I like movies and yes, plenty of movies have sequels that they should not have had. But a lot of times, that's not the filmmaker's fault. I will point to Jaws as my favorite example of this. Spielberg does Jaws, walks away. Every other movie that comes after is the studio trying to monopolize the success of the first film, not interested in really continuing what happens in the first film. I don't count those because that's not the intent. But with a series, it starts with this we have the story. This is what we want to do. And then when it's successful, especially like stranger things, when it becomes a cultural phenomenon, when people stop what they're doing to jump in, to watch this, it takes a, it takes a life of its own. And it's no longer about the story. It's now about how do we keep this going so that we can back up the money trucks, you know? And that's what I think a lot of four feels like very good stuff in it. There's some really great performances. I think Sadie sink has become the shining star of that series. And I always forget the actor's name who plays Dustin. Um, and uh, I got to give credit to Steve, um, Joe, whatever, Carrington. I don't know his name. Um, but those two guys, I love them. Love them a lot. And Maya Hawk, I- I'm a huge Ethan Hawk fan, like Uma Thurman a lot. Maya Hawk's got the talent for sure. Yeah. But there's a lot of stuff in the show that just is like, okay, can we can we cut this whole 
storyline out. Like this storyline feels like it is dragging the show on. Um, that said, I also watched Midnight Mass this week. I've been putting this one off. Uh, Ooh, so. This was huge uh, a year ago, right? Like I think it was like right at the like October ish, um, maybe. Yeah, about uh, that. Even I saw this when it came out, and that's saying yeah. something. I, I I I just wasn't into it, and I, the funny I had just watched Bly Manor and Hill House like that summer, if I remember correctly. It's been a it's been a weird two years, but. I was really into those. And here's the new show from that same guy. I'm like, cool, I'll wait. And I did. I had no reason. I waited. Finally, it was like, I finally had the itch. I was like, you know what? I think today's the day I start Midnight Mass. Two episodes in when we recorded last time. And I was very into the show that I sat and I, I stayed up past midnight on Thursday night because I didn't want to wait the next day to finish the show. So I was like, I got to finish this. I don't care how late it gets. I, I'm, I'm finishing it tonight. And I'm glad that I did. I love the series. Um, I think maybe the best use of Neil Diamond songs ever. Like I like Neil Diamond songs anyways, but like using them in a horror series was un- unexpected and yet worked so freaking well. Um, if you haven't seen midnight mass, I really want to stress that you should check it out. Um, I don't, I don't, I've, I knew some things I wish I hadn't known going into the series. So I won't say anything specific, but man, there's so much to break down about that show. Like there are so many things I want to analyze and consider and talk about. I have yet to really do that with anyone, but Midnight Mass, really great. Um, and lastly, and fastly, uh, Tiny Tina um, is currently my favorite game on Xbox. I have, uh, I don't think I've ever played a game in the level in which I'm playing this because I have, I've compl- got one character to level 40, beat the game, got a second character to level 40 beat the game and this week i started my third character um <laughs> i don't usually do this uh and i'm just i'm just having a blast playing it um i bought the dlc uh season pass and i it's it's real it's to the point where i'm not even paying attention to the story anymore because i've already beat it twice i'm just like going through the motions but it's cathartic for me like it really relaxes me um and i've kind of needed that because the world is is crazy and i enjoy the 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 D and D vibe of like the FPS game mode. And I'm just having a blast playing it. So I'm, I'm back in for a uh, third character going to level 40 here. I'm already level 20, like 25, I think. So uh, working my way through that game pretty quick, but Go on, what have on. you been watching, Matt? Um, well, I want to watch you play a game called tiny Tina. Sounds great. Um, I haven't been watching stranger things yet. I've been actively staying away from spoilers and somehow I've managed to avoid every single one. I'm a, I'm a season and a half through and I'm, I'm digging it. It's just finding the time to watch it, especially knowing that, you know, what that like episodes get to like two and a half hours by the time, well, in season four. So it's a heck of a uh, commitment, but I'm going to get there, John, as with the boys, I'm kind of thinking now I might just wait until all the, all the episodes are out and just binge through all of them rather than waiting. But, um, uh, I haven't really been watching that much this week, John. I've been listening to the dead meat podcast as a horror podcast, very big one. um, uh, you may have noticed them in the foot in the scream movie that came out at the beginning of the year. They were on in that is a background cameo. Um, I enjoy a good horror podcast, especially when it's humorous, but at the same time, extremely informative, analytical, deep dive, psycho, psychoanalytical. Uh, and that's what this show is. So I've been listening to a lot of the back catalog of those guys. And in terms of films, John, not an awful lot this week. It's been a busy nope. week. And just, as you say, life gets in the way or, or whatever you, however you want to put that. But, uh, I watched Lightyear again. I took my daughter to see Lightyear. I uh, went to the cinema to watch that, and she very much enjoyed it. I think she started. To, I think she may have started to get a little bit bored towards the end, but it was too polite to say. I think mm. she thought that it was going to be a Toy Story kind of Buzz Lightyear film, uh. when it turned out to be a just a fairly generic sci-fi film with Buzz Lightyear in the lead. Uh, she liked it. She laughed at a lot of the bits, but I think she started to get a little bit fidgety towards the end of the hour forty runtime, but. Uh, on second viewing, I still I still enjoyed it. it. Still holds up. I still think it's pretty decent. Uh, it didn't certainly wasn't diminished upon a second viewing, which is always a sign of a half decent film for me. And the only other film I've watched, John, is one we've mentioned uh, already on this show, and that's Sinister, Scott Derrickson's uh, horror film, which kind of kicked off his him in the genre. It was kind of him, but. Um, I really like Sinister. I think it's very decent. Uh, I think it's one of the better horror films of uh, the last decade or so. Um, I don't know your thoughts on the film. I'll say the last decade. It literally came out a decade ago, but uh, it, I really think Sinister is good. It's got Ethan Hawke in it yeah. uh, and James Ransone as well, who was 
who is in uh, the Black Phone as well. So another Black Scott Phone. Derrickson regular. But um, what do you think of Sinister? Are you a fan of that one? I actually did like it a lot. Um, it was some of the most haunting, like visuals uh that i've ever seen i also think it's one of those weird horror movies that where it's it has some of the dumbest jump scares like yeah it's very ever. like jump scares yeah well there's like a point where like all of the things like like pop up on the screen like they're looking at you like they are like they know that you're watching them and it like it kind of makes sense to the story of the movie but it also was like wow that felt kind of cheesy yet like it has some of the most horrific scenes ever especially because once you it's a spoiler to say why they're so horrific but the premise of those scenes is like devastatingly scary um so yeah i really really liked it it definitely has stuck with me i've only seen it once and i re- i feel like i remember it quite vividly so good well, job there go. uh, so there you go then if it's good if it can stay with you for that long afterwards um yeah no i like sinister i think it's a really good film and again another film that holds up on well, I've seen it more than more than twice now, but on multiple viewings. I haven't seen it for a little while, though. So Sinister, to prepare for the Black Phone. I do think Sinister is the better film out of the two, but that's not to uh, negate the impact of the Black Phone. Again, I think it's a very solid horror film. I do think Sinister has a little bit more to it, but I haven't played any, any games. I haven't read any books. I haven't been uh, reading any comics or anything this, this week, JB. It's been a fairly... Um, very ho hum week, my friend. So that's all I've been doing, and you know, I've, you know, having stood, having to try and find ways to stay bloody awesome, which is what we do here on this podcast, in order to bring this to you each and every week, and to maintain the levels that you have become accustomed to over the last four plus years. We have to stay bloody awesome week in, week out. So, JB, how have you been staying bloody awesome over the past seven days? I simply said adulting, which kind of covers what I was talking about (laughs) earlier, Um, buying a lawnmower, mowing the grass, cleaning out the shed, taking my truck to the mechanic right away and not going, yeah, the light's light's supposed to stay on. You know, um, uh, even like just like I have a a checklist of things that I want to do and cover um, before I go back to work in August. Uh, So I have a lot of like responsibility things. Um, including I, I'm sitting in, uh, the Burke cave, um, and I have a lot of stuff. I have a lot of things and I don't know that I need all of it. And I really want to start trying to sell some of it, but it is, it's a stressful undertaking to like start selling because then I'm like, well, how much do I charge and how much am I willing to take? And how do I do this? Do I just, you know, put it up on eBay or do I like, do I try to go to a flea market one Saturday and like get a table and sell stuff there? Is it worth my time? Like all of that makes me like super anxious. So today was, I was, I had this goal, like when I woke up, I'm like, I want to do all these things. And then I got super stressed out about it and did none of them. So, you know, sometimes adulting is doing the thing and other times it's, it's sitting in self dread and, and worrying. So that was today. Um, what about you, but what are you doing to stay bloody awesome? Um, kind of similar in a way i've been decluttering uh, mm. i've been going through all of my stuff like my my in my kind of geek area uh been getting it was kind of cluttered with uh figures mainly star wars figures and uh merchandise and uh things that have been picked up from conventions and artwork and all this good stuff which is all really cool stuff but you know you get to a point where i was looking and thinking this is you know i'm not i'm not getting anything from this i'm not kind of looking at it thinking ah this is you know I, i'm getting nostalgic vibes or, or or it's not making me feel anything other than it's really dusty and there's too much stuff here for me to just dust around it's going to take me all day just to dust it so i decided to basically get not say get rid of box up half of my pop culture goodness and uh just declutter my general living space and uh so now i have i still have a, a couple of star wars things out i still have my uh, Ghostbusters, my Ecto One uh, repl- replica, the the um, Ecto One license plates. I've still got my ah. Exorcist stuff, so I've kind of got a couple of shelves dedicated to them. But it's a lot more sparsely laid out and looks a lot better. Uh, and also, and, and just more kind of like personal foibles from myself, from a daughter, whatever, to make it feel a little bit nicer and to give you that kind of boost when things are a bit rubbish. Rather than looking at dust and boxed up figures, I can now look at kind of more personal items, which uh certainly helps when when the days are getting longer and you're kind of getting a bit bored i don't want to think about cleaning anymore i don't have to i've decluttered my life john but the pop culture good uh, stuff is still there 
can I ask, um, did you yeah. sell the stuff you got rid of or did you just give it away? No, no, I just boxed it up. Um, so oh, okay. I will, gotcha, you know, gotcha. I, I will get it out at some point, but I don't, with figures, like the Star Wars figures, the Black Series or Vintage Collection, whatever, I don't get them out of the box. But I'm also Same. fully yeah. aware that, you know, a uh, whoever it might be isn't going to be worth an awful lot of money. So I don't really even keep them in the box for their value. I mean, they might go up 10, 20% in the years to come, but there, there are only a few figures that really make any money. So it's not even a case of I'm keeping them in, in as mint as possible so I can make a few pounds off them in the future. It's just, I don't know. I quite like the, the look of them in the box. I think the box in itself is part of the charm, the art they put on it and how they're presented. Plus also again, clutter, more stuff to go missing. So, um, I've kept them. So I've, they're up in, they're up in the, in the attic, up in the loft, at the minute along with a load of books and trinkets and they'll, they'll, they'll see the live day yep. again. I'm, I am a Funko collector. Uh, and I wouldn't even say I am a collector cause I don't buy everything. I buy things that I like and they just happen to really hit on things that I like a lot. Um, and I use their app to like keep my collection and according to their app. If I could sell them at the price that they are listed, I have like $3,000 worth of Funko. Um, <sighs> Which is not to say I have that many because a lot of the ones I have are a little more obscure. Um, like my most valuable, like my top five, uh, I have Daria, which I found easily, did not go hunting for. Like seemed like nobody wanted Daria, but Daria is one of my favorite animated series of all time. Uh, her figure is valued right now at $100. Um, Jay and Silent Bob, you know, I'm a big Kevin Smith fan. Um, I got the original Jay and Silent Bob figures. Uh, I actually bought them and then I got them for a birthday present as well, like the same time. And uh, the ones I bought came slightly damaged. So I actually, those are the only two I have out of box and they are on a shelf up there. But um, so I have two J's and two Silent Bobs, uh, one in a box, one out of a box. J's worth 90, Silent Bob's worth 85. And again, I have two of those. Uh, And then I have, by coincidence, my wife bought me the Ron Swanson with cornrows at a Hot Topic. She just saw it. She knew I like Parks and Rec, bought it. That one has jumped up to 85 bucks. And again, we paid normal 10 bucks, 13 bucks for it. And then, um, and all of these actually bought for regular price. Like I didn't buy these at a convention at this marked up price. Like I bought them in a store for like regular price and they just have gone up. Uh, you know, I'm a big Scott Pilgrim fan. I have all of the Scott Pilgrim ones that I've been able to buy reasonably. Um, and I have Scott Pilgrim and the plum tree, uh, with his base, which I think was a Toys R Us exclusive. I got that online at Toys R Us when they were going out of business, uh, at, for like regular price and it's now worth 75. So, oh, and I didn't know this one, but I bought, um, I'm a big David Diggs fan and yeah. I did Hamilton pops not too long ago. So I pre-ordered Lafayette and that one has jumped up to $70. I paid again, the regular price. So like, mm-hmm. of course they're only worth that. If I can find someone willing to give me that much money for them, um, which is unlikely, right? Cause if someone most likely if someone's shelling out money, they want to either resell it themselves uh, or, you know, they're going to look for the best value they can find. So like, I've considered that we've had a few different like toy conventions and I've gone to them and I've watched people sell at the, the price. Everyone has the same app. So everyone knows what their quote unquote value is. Right. So like you can't, you can't overcharge or undercharge too much without, you know, people knowing. And uh, I've considered it, but I'm like, man, but it doesn't seem like they're that sparse. Like I've seen the ones that I just listed at other people's tables. So it's not like I would have like the exclusive, but and I do like them. I, I, at this point, I have too many of them, and like you can't see <laughs> half of them. Like you, like there's they're like three deep on the shelves, so you can't see most of them. Um, and like you know, some of them I really love. Like I have all the director's series, which there's not many. The only ones I don't have from the director series. I, sorry, listeners, I didn't mean to go on a rant about Funko Pops, but you they've done it. two two Taika Waititi director uh, pops, but they're both have been co- uh, ex- convention exclusives, and like they're a hundred bucks right away like i can't you can't buy them unless you shell out 100 bucks i'm just not willing to do that and then um ooh, there's one more director and i'm not gonna remember who it is now there's one more non-tv director i don't have vince gilligan because they I, no offense i love breaking bad i just don't i don't have that fandom but like i have jj abrams i have alfred hitchcock i have guillermo del toro i have uh ava DeVernay. um jordan peele just got one i've got his immediately nice um uh, man, I'm looking right at him. Uh, oh, Spike Lee's is really cool. He's got, he's wearing the love hate rings from uh, Do the Right Thing. Yeah. Um, 
and that's the thing I love about the director series. They all have something in their hand. Like Del, Del Toro has his you know book that he always has, like his notebook when he's making a movie. Hitchcock's holding the uh, clapboard that says Psycho on it. Like I love the little details on the Funkos, and uh, like the director ones, really not worth anything, but they mean something to me because I cherish film so much. So I get it, man. I get it. Uh, I, I would I would box mine up in a big box and put them somewhere. I'm just running out of space to do that even. So got to make some decisions. Got to make some decisions. Take the plunge, my friend. You'll feel better for doing it. Plus the fact that they haven't been sold. You still got them. Um, I've only got three Funko Pops. I have the first one I ever got was when I got a subscription to Total Film Magazine as a birthday present. It came with a Funko Pop. It was either the Joker um, someone of whom I don't remember, you know, a, a, an anime character, I think, or Han Solo from The Force Awakens. So you can imagine ah. who I was thinking, come on, come on, give it to me, give me Han. And as it so as it happens, Han Solo turned up. So I've got Han Solo from The Force Awakens. Uh, I've got Rey with her yellow lightsaber from The Rise of Skywalker. And I've got Fennec Shand from The Book of Boba Fett. Ah, but I have. I, I just more- can't. I'm scared to do it, JB. I'm scared to buy any more because I have four of the child alone. <laughs> like Jesus. each one's different. Each one's different. And it's from the first season of Mandalorian, but I have four of just the child. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it is. It is once, especially if you are, you are like me where we're completionists. So yeah. like, once you have like, well, I have this, I got to get the other ones from at least this series. Like I have, well, I can't do it. I got my wife, uh, she likes Def Leppard, and they had Def Leppard Pops. So I had to buy all five. I couldn't just get her one Def Leppard Pop. I had to get her the whole band. Um, no, this is it. I saw the Ghostbusters Afterlife Pops oh, the other day in the in the, oh, uh, in the geek shop. I was like, I, I can't just get one. And then similarly for um, a couple of other franchises, or even like even like Ice Hockey, they have NHL, Pittsburgh, Penguins Pops for like Malkin and Crosby and people like that. And I'm like, I can't just have one. I have to have both. But then I'm shelling out. 30 pounds for both of them and Dude, do i, I bought them is what i keep telling myself do i need them john the only thing i wanted from the afterlife series i actually i i wasn't going to buy one of the regular ones because i knew i would want all of them yep but th- i wanted the finn wolfhard pop in the ecto one oh. and i i didn't see it i didn't see it i found it i bought it <laughs> and then I did the right thing and I gave it to a, uh, a listener's, uh, a listener and good friend of mine's son for his birthday um, nice. and didn't keep it for myself, even though I really, really wanted to keep it for myself. Um, I knew it was right to give it to him as his birthday gift. And I was like, what if man. I ever see it again, I'll buy another one. I never saw it again. Um, but I also, I could have ordered it online. I just didn't bother. But uh, I, I did. That was one that I do have. Um, one of my favorite Ghostbusters ones. I remember I was telling you because my wife has redone my wall and I've got like all my Ghostbusters yep. stuff and I have more Bill Murray pops because I have Bill Murray from Zombieland. I have uh, Groundhog's Day, Phil Connors. Um, I have What About Bob? There's actually several from What About Bob. I only have one and I was that one I was content with just one. I'm like, yeah, I like that movie. I don't need all of them. Um, but I have uh, Peter Venkman covered in marshmallow next to the fire station. So yeah. you actually have the fire station as part of the pop. And I, use, I also have uh, the Keymaster... Um, and gatekeeper from the first Ghostbusters, uh, Dana and Rick Moranis' character, um, with, I think, I don't remember if it's both dogs or just one dog, but, uh, like, I have th- that we found at a, uh, antique mall, um, which was a really cool one to have. So I have, I have some really cool Ghostbusters pop. Yeah, I love them. I, I think they're, I actually have a cool, uh, Demogorgon with Steve and the bat, uh, that one of my former students and good friend bought me for Christmas one year. Like I have, I have some cool scene stuff, uh, from them too. I love the pops. I'm not going to lie. It just, it, it is, it's not something I recommend. We just did like 10 minutes on pops. I am so sorry. I've, <laughs> we <laughs> should end the episode. Um, but yeah, yeah imagine what it's like when you go into a shop and see the damn things. Imagine how long John's been uh, searching there. And that's why I don't buy them. Because yeah. I know I'll buy more. And again, it comes it's, down it's to the a, simple question. Do I need it? Do I want it? Yeah. But do I need it? What will it do for the next three years? Will it sit on a box on the shelf and look cool for no one to really see? Probably. Can I probably spend that £15 on something a bit more practical? Yes. And that's where the adulting comes into it. But it doesn't always win. You know, sometimes I sometimes I take the plunge on these things. But... Uh, it's a dangerous game but let's let's 86 that talk now otherwise we'll be here talking about pops 
all yeah, night. So sorry, my friend JB. No, no, you can talk for England, America, independence. You can talk for yes. all of it, JB, and I would never say anything otherwise. But we'll call it a day there then for the non-spoiler episode of the Black Phone. We hope you all enjoyed what we had to say about the film. But next week we're going slightly bigger. We're going to the realms of gods to talk about the latest Marvel release, Thor. Love and Thunder. Thor 4 is released at the end of this week, and we are going to be dropping a non-spoiler and spoiler review of this next week. So if you want to tell us what you thought about the Black Phone or what you thought about our thoughts on the Black Phone or how excited you are for Thor, Love and Thunder, you can do online via social media on Twitter at BAMP underscore podcast, B-A-M-P underscore podcast, and John on Instagram. We are Bloody Awesome Movie Pod. And if you're still on the old Facebook, you can just search Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. The same posts go up on there as well. If you want to find me, whatiwatchtonight.co.uk, or search for what I watch tonight across all the socials, including Letterboxd. John, where are you? I am at BurkeReviews.com and at BurkeReviews on all the social media platforms. And you'll find him in the pop aisle at your local geek <laughs> shop. And if you do see him... Tell him that, say, John, no. What you can do is, well, for us, if you have a spare 30 seconds, is please do rate and review the show on your podcast provider of choice. A five-star review really helps the show grow. It bumps us up the algorithm. It gets more listeners in. Uh, plus, it's just a, another way for us to commune with more movie fans each and every week. But with that, as always, guys, stay bloody awesome. And keep watching movies. Blood, 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 bloody. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Blood, 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 bl